One of the major challenges of my business in particular is the supply chain. It's just, it's really difficult now and, and inflation. So prices are going up, gas price, freight prices are going up. So anything that we buy um, from Asia, it seems like the logistical problems have not been solved. Things are, it's, it's unpredictable whether things are going to get here on time or not. So that continues to be a challenge. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. From keeping employees and customers safe and healthy, adjusting to fast-changing COVID restrictions, and dealing with supply chain and hiring issues, owning a small business hasn't been easy. We spoke to several small business owners across New York City about their experiences finding success during this unique and difficult time. A premium loose-leaf teas and herbs store, a Burmese restaurant, a sneaker shop that specializes in hard-to-find styles, and a Filipino restaurant. Aside from persevering despite challenges brought on by the pandemic, all these businesses have another thing in common. They're all AAPI-owned. Today, an introduction to our neighbors behind these small businesses. My first conversation is with the Chinatown tea lady, Natalie Shea of Sun's Organic Garden. Uh, Well, my name is Natalie Shea, and I am also known as the Chinatown Tea Lady. And Sun's Organic Garden is a mostly organic herb and tea store. We sell about, I would say, around 500 loose leaf teas and herbs. I think what we try to do is um, help people who desire it to bring their appreciation for tea to the next level. Tea and herbs um, have traditionally been a part of Chinese culture for thousands of years. I just think it has an important place both in history and in Chinese culture. So for that reason, it's nice to have a tea store in Chinatown. Started in 2010 with another woman. She started the business, and I used to be a customer at the store. And um, when the Twin Towers fell, I experienced some after effects. At that time, the EPA said that the air was clean. I worked in the area very close by, within a mile. And after years of breathing in the polluted air, Uh, I had some health issues that doctors were not able to help me with. So I just decided that perhaps one thing I could do for myself was to take a little bit more control or be a little more proactive about my health. I started to change my lifestyle and pay more attention to what I was eating. And at that time, things that were organic piqued my interest. And I met um, the original owner of Sun's Organic Garden and we had a little chat and she introduced me to some tea and herbs that... I tried and really uh, significantly benefited me in twenty late 2018 when she told me she was wanting to retire. She said, well, I'm either going to try to sell the business or I'm going to close the store. And I felt like it was such a shame. And I had also been looking for a career change. I'm coming from the corporate world. So um, this looked like a great opportunity. So we talked, we talked it out and I became the owner of Sun's Organic Garden in 2019. So I started off my career in investment banking. It was a very, it was a very different lifestyle. It, you know, at times stressful, 
quite different than what I do now. I mean, I, I would have to say I have a lot more control over my hours, but there's also, there's different stresses, you know, owning your own business is, you know, it's got its own stresses because everything depends on you. So um, you have to, I have to wear a lot more hats. I think one of the major challenges of my business in particular is the supply chain. I mean, I, and I don't know how someone could help me with that. It, it's just, it's really difficult now um, and, and inflation. Um, so prices are going up, gas price, freight prices are going up. So anything that we buy from Asia, it seems like the logistical problems have not been solved. So it's, it's unpredictable whether things are going to get here on time or not. So that continues to be a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we felt the effects of the pandemic before the pandemic even came to the U.S. So when it was starting in Asia, you know, it it was obvious. I mean, that remember the weekend, a couple of weekends in February, business was really slow. You could see there were no people on the streets. Um, and then things just came to a grinding halt in March. It was tough. I think, it. you know, a lot of Chinatown Besides local business, a lot of us also have tourism is a nice part of our business. So uh, without the tourists, I think it makes it kind of hard. But we have a lot of gratitude towards two organizations in particular, Welcome to Chinatown and Send Chinatown Love, whom you might have heard of, that really uh, stepped up and volunteered to you know help us with different initiatives that I don't think that would have crossed my mind. It was really a, a great experience because I got to know um, new people, meet new people um, during that time and people who were really willing and dedicated to helping Chinatown not only survive, but thrive. So it was cool to know that there was this community of people out there. Like Sun's Organic Garden, Prince Torre of Chicken Rotunda also struggled during the pandemic. In fact, he ended up closing his former restaurant before opening a new one. My, my name is uh, Prince Torre. Uh, my last name sounds like Spanish, but uh, <laughs> Filipino here. Uh, grew up uh, most of my years in the Philippines and then uh, moved here when after my high school, about maybe 16 years old. So I found uh, the school in the city, which is the Institute of Culinary Education, which they offer a, a, a work-study program back then. So. I enrolled and uh, they got me in and uh, actually helped me a lot. Uh, I've worked in a few different places, some restaurants, some hotels, here in, uh, only in New York City. And, and uh, the latest maybe before I started my, my business was uh, at a small uh, rotisserie, uh, rotisserie place. So uh, it was doing well, but uh, after, that, that was open before this place, you know, and it, that, that place, well, we got hit by a pandemic. Around those times, we were already preparing, especially, uh, we were already, already preparing to brace ourselves, you know, for, for the worst. So, little by little, we, we, I, we tried uh, to create a menu, you know, that would have like a delivery service. But it's, it's really tough. Nobody would really like... Uh, you know, we, we would make like a menu, like a daily menu that we could send to them, deliver it to them, you know. But nobody would really like buy it, you know. So we were like, Oof, this is really tough. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that place uh, kind of closed down, uh, closed down for a few, for maybe three months. And then uh, we tried to come back 
little by little, it's very tough. You know, people don't want to order anything. Like when we were started to open back again, we somebody would call us and uh, ask us if we deliver in Long Island. So back then, we don't have nothing much to do, right? So we would just take the order. We said, we have, okay, we have like the minimum of this, and then we could deliver it to you, plus the, you know, the delivery fee. So <laughs> we would deliver it to Long Island, imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's crazy because you, you, need, you need to make money somehow, right? Yeah. Fast forward, we are very happy that uh, we are going to extend this space and then we are going to put our Filipino barbecue here on this side. So, yeah, uh, I think that it's going to be a lot of fun. The barbecue is the one we also entry in the night market, you know, and uh, the organizer said uh, this is the first time that we are having something like this, he said. So we were very confident, you know, that uh, people would really try it and then try, try it and would really like them. Because you know, it's kind of like exotic in a way, but for us it's not really that exotic, you know, like the chicken, chicken feet, <laughs> then we have the pork blood, then we have the pork ears and, uh, you know, the goal is to have more chicken rotonda. <laughs> yeah, and to have more people try chicken rotonda and for some other people too that, you know, oh, when they went here chicken rotonda, they tried like for example the pancit or the lumpia, they're like, when they go to another Filipino restaurant, okay, not chicken rotonda, say, oh, I know this one, so I want to order this, you know, at least they're already familiar with it, you know. We try to help everybody out, you know. I also spoke to Perry Shem what some would call a sneakerhead who owns Image. Like Prince, Perry also closed his storefront for a period of time early on in the pandemic. My name is Perry Shum. I'm a native of Queens, born and raised. My parents are from from Hong Kong. And uh, I opened uh, Image NY, which is a sneaker consignment shop. I opened it with two partners, uh, Greg and Shu. And, you know, we wanted to bring something that Queens did not have. So um, basically, uh, we help people sell or consign um, limited edition and hard to find like sneakers. We we sell a wide range of like different styles and colors and sizes. There's something for everyone. And when people come to our store, they feel nostalgic because we have shoes that they haven't seen in so many years that they didn't expect to find. It's not like walking to a full locker. You know what they're going to have. Like when you come in our store, it's... You don't know what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, sneakers was a thing I grew up uh, liking since I was like 13. Me and my two partners, we all went to high school together. We went to high school in Queens. And it was just a hobby we shared. You know, my partners all started working at a young age. We bought shoes and we sold them too. You know, we, we learned to flip shoes at a young age. I bought my first car at 18 from selling sneakers. Mm. So... We just learned that there was like, you know, there was a way to profit from just sneakers. So that's why we kept it on as a business. And from there on, we just, we opened a few stores and like, we just kept expanding and like growing. But we kept it in uh, Flushing, Flushing, New York. If you know, Flushing, Queens is a big Asian community. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something we wanted to bring to to the area. and. I, I, I somehow convinced them, and we started out in a small mall in, in Flushing. 
we had a really small location. We we built it up our own collection. We started out our own collection, and it just grew. Every every year, it just grew and grew. After two years, we moved to a bigger location, and as of recent, we just moved to another a bigger location on Main Street. Um, during the pandemic, it was rough for everybody, but anyone in the sneaker culture or own the sneaker store, there was a lot of riots happening. A few of my friends' stores got looted, you know, in the city, you know, some in other states. So that was a big concern because you know a lot of a lot of people saw that as a vulnerability, and they were they were looting a lot of sneaker stores, a lot of stores even. Yeah. So we decided to. The first few months we shut down due to the lockdown. So when we tried opening up again, um, that's when the riots started happening. So we had to close for probably two months. We only operated online. We had to empty out our store and board up the store in case there was any looting. We just tried to play it safe. You know, even stores in the city had boarded up all the stores. It was it was kind of crazy. You know, we we were shut down for a few months. You know, just operating online, and we were we were doing what we could. You know, it was it was tough for everybody in the business. We took some hits, you know, but we recuperated. Uh, a lot of customers were waiting to shop, waiting for us to come back. So, you know, I made up for it. Finally, I spoke to Mio Linthwe of Burmese Bites. He opened Burmese Bites after moving to New York City and realizing that the cuisine of his beloved country of Myanmar was rarely represented in the dining scene. I was born in the country called, now called Myanmar. It used to be called Burma. And I came here probably, I came here in uh, 1994 to study mechanical engineering. After I graduated from school, I ended up working at the Diamond District. And I was working there for like 15, 16 years. And after that, I said, okay, I might want to explore my options. And especially with having the knowledge of how to do food and all the stuff I said okay let me go to the food business because my father himself is food entrepreneur as well so I said okay let me try it out and see what happened and my wife and my family support me so I said here I am in our society right in Burmese society not a lot of people knows how to make palata so I happened to know how to make palata and I started uh, making palata once a year at the, our church fun fair and that's how I introduced my palata especially pear palata which is uh, palata with the steamed yellow split pea into Burmese community so we Burmese people love that actually that with uh, sweetheart tea is basically our favorite breakfast uh, back in Burma so since I've been doing that for like 20 years maybe one day, uh, I happened to visit to a friend of mine who is selling Thai food at the street market. And I saw he is doing very well. And I said, you know what, why don't I bring my palata and maybe other th- a few other things to street fair? Maybe American might like Burmese food as well. So that I started out. Then I realized that Burmese food is very little known. So I have to explain them a lot in order for me to sell one item. So I said, okay, I don't think it's going to work out well for me. I need a place 
so that if oh plus on street fair you know that right street fair one week is here another week is different places so i'm basically facing um, a new batch of customers every week so i told myself that okay i'm gonna need uh, a regular place so that if customer come and try my food and they want they like my food and they want to come back they know where to come back because on the street fair even they want to come back they don't know where to come back anymore so that's how i uh, joined queen's night market so i have a regular place once a week in summertime which non-burmese people love my food quite a lot and that's how i started burmese bite um 2014 and 2015 i was in queen's night market until now but once pandemic hit i stopped and i was supposed to open this queen's mall in 2019 or early 2020 but because of the pandemic all the projects were postponed delayed and i end up opening in november 2021 like you just heard you can find burmese bites at the queen's night market chicken rotunda will be there too and coming up on june 4th epicenter is offering a free exclusive members only tour before the market opens to the rest of the public you'll get a chance to meet John Wang, who founded the market seven years ago, and sample some of the most popular dishes. To sign up, simply RSVP to hello at epicenter-nyc.com by June 3rd. And if you're not already a member, it's not too late to sign up for membership. Just click the link in our show notes to learn more. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.